sorry I don't love you A phrase I've grown accustomed to Cause with you something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is back this week. We have a new guest. We have Stephen Kesslowitz on and we are going to be discussing his book, Why You Better Call Saul, which that is the short title for it because I have not memorized the full title of the book. But before we dive in, I want to let you know that Loot Crate is sponsoring this episode. If you go to our link and type in the code BRIDGE10, you'll get 10% off. The link will be in the show notes so you don't have to memorize it or anything like that. And now we are going to dive in. So, Stephen, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. Of course. And your book, Why You Better Call Saul, is a focus on Saul Goodman's character. So before we dive into the content of the book, I wanted to ask you, what made you first want to write books about TV shows? Right. Uh, that's a good question. So this is my fourth book and my other books... Um, about The Simpsons in 24, and then there was another book that was not pop culture about my grandparents and the Holocaust. But, you know, I tried to pick television shows that um, have meant something to me, and I think mean something to a lot of people that have indelible characters, um, themes that we can all relate to and learn a lot from. So The World According to The Simpsons was the title of the first one. And, you know, when you just think about Simpsons and all the issues we've tackled over the years, I just thought it was interesting to kind of put that together into a book. Um, it all kind of, that was my first one, and it all kind of started back in college, um, where I wrote about The Simpsons in a college paper, then I wrote about The Simpsons in a college um, a newspaper, and then I just expanded that into a book, and um, things went from there. An agent contacted me, and we sold it to a publisher, um, on Today Show, and all Fox News and Associated Press and got a lot of great things and it's being used in college courses and that kind of um, got me interested in writing more. So uh, it, it all kind of started back with The Simpsons and uh, I thought it was an interesting way to learn about the world and to hopefully teach others in a way and uh, kind of started with that. Yeah, and for this book specifically, you opted to release it while Better Call Saul was still ongoing. What led to that decision? Were you just so excited about the character and his role in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul that you didn't want to wait until Better Call Saul finished their run? It's a great question. So I put a lot of thought into you know the timing of the release of the book. Um, and I actually consulted with the actors and producers on the show, asked them what they thought about timing. And you know, to a T, everybody I spoke to advised me to release it now, you know, after the second season. And I thought it was a good sort of time to kind of take stock of where the character is. Um, and if, as you know, if you read the book, um, you know, I, I cover Breaking Bad in great detail also. Right. So it's, it's kind of interesting because you're taking on two sides of this character. And there's obviously this, you know, there are things that we don't know yet. Um, but, you know, I, I think that... You know, given the popularity of the show, um, given that it's spread out for many seasons and um, the timing of shooting those seasons is kind of slow, um, I don't want to wait years for releasing it. And um, as you see the content, it's, I don't know, close to 400, 350, something like that. It, you know, to, to, to write about two more seasons, I didn't want to have a book that was like 600 pages long. So there's a lot of content in those first 20 episodes. So. 
Right. And you can always opt to do, you know, a follow up to it or just yeah. write articles on it or something, too, as the seasons yeah. continue and the show starts to wrap up. Because for me, you know, I wasn't anticipating a show like Better Call Saul to come out of Breaking Bad when I first watched Breaking Bad. But now that it's here, I just really love the idea of it because there are a lot of different characters you probably could have plucked out of Breaking Bad to have a show revolve around, but to have it be Saul Goodman and to have it show how he's becoming Saul Goodman as opposed to being Jimmy McGill and then having, you know, Mike Ehrmantraut in there and Tuco and all of these other characters that are in the Breaking Bad world, but maybe not quite to the extent that we get to see in Better Call Saul. Right. No, absolutely. I think um, it was a very interesting character choice. Um, and, you know, in, in, better, in Breaking Bad, you don't think that that character has too much depth. Um, I describe him as kind of soulless in that show. Um, and, you know, you see the, the depth and quality of the character in Better Call Saul. So it's, it's actually fascinating. I'm an attorney, so it's fascinating to watch that development of um, someone who's in my field of practice and then sort of, you know, going off the deep end, becoming so morally bankrupt when he started off as a decent, likable person um, who you root for. So, yeah, great character choice. Um, and just personally, I'm glad they chose a, an attorney. So, <laughs> Yeah, that definitely lends to you yourself being an attorney. And that really came through in the book when I was reading it, because you do go over a lot of the various New Mexico rules and some in New York. So are you a lawyer in New York, and that's why you were using those as sort of some of the examples, or are you a lawyer elsewhere? Yeah, I'm a New York a lawyer, only licensed to practice in New York. Um, so that was probably the main reason to, to use New York. I'm mm -hmm. more familiar with them. But, you know, I also kind of I wanted to talk about New Mexico as well, which took a lot of research to compare the differences. So attorneys are governed by um, ethical standards, and each state has different rules. There is a model professional, a rules of professional conduct that a lot of states um, try to at least base their own rules on. So um, what I did, I sort of took those rules as like a model code. Um, and then I looked at New York, New Mexico, and occasionally a few other states as well, and just kind of compared differences. So, you know, you just look at the different actions that Jimmy, Kim, and Chuck, and others in the show take. And occasionally there are some differences in how it would be treated under different rules. So I thought, um, you know, that, that was part of the book, right? And as you know, if you read it, um, you know, when I actually started off writing, uh, thinking about writing a book, I thought the book would only be about legal issues on the show. And I quickly realized that there's so much depth to this character and the transformation um, and you know, other characters on the show and Breaking Bad. There's so much other content that I, I just limited the legal issues to really basically two chapters and the rest of the book just deals with other aspects of the show. And um, Peter Gold, the co-creator of the show, uh, guy who created Saul Goodman, he asked me, like, hey, you know, what, what are you planning to write about? What aspects of the show? And it was kind of an enlightening question because, you know, you just think about TV series, you would think a book can kind of cover everything. Um, but he, you know, quickly realized that, yeah, I mean, the, the thought of just covering some aspect, you'd have enough for a book in that. So for me, you know, as I was writing it and I kept kind of expanding what I'm going to cover and, and um, you know, that was kind of a fun process. Absolutely. 
So how did you end up getting access to the cast and creators for the show for this book? A lot of different ways. It's funny. Um, I've, I've met, um, by now I've met everybody um, on the show, um, I think except for uh, Gus Spring, um, okay. but everybody else I've met, you know, different ways. Actually, I contacted a couple of actors through Twitter, others through email, Facebook. Um, I was invited out to the LA premiere of the Better Call Saul season three. So um, I met Vince Gilligan there. It's just an incredible, humble guy. Um, I sent uh, the team copies of my book, and Vince uh, Gilligan sent me this incredible letter, like saying great things about it. And um, he sent me the um, the famous coins that they give to the, the crew um, who work on the show. So just an incredible group of people. Um, I keep I'm good friends with Patrick Fabian, Brandon Hampton. Go to lunch. We text after the shows. I just talked to Patrick uh, yesterday, actually. And I've met you know Bob Odenkirk a few times. Also just incredible. And um, got a picture of him holding the book, which was cool. Um, but you know the the feedback has been very very warm very welcoming and you know it's it's really been fun to to get to know the team yeah one of the things i do want to dive into a little bit here too is your writing process once you've had the chance to talk to the crew the creators and the cast and everything like that how did you start the book off because as someone who myself writes i more so just write about entertainment for websites but Ideas for books have crossed my mind. It's just one of those daunting things where it's like, okay, where do you even start with this? Is there a right or wrong way to do this? So for you, what is your process like to sit down and start a book? That's a great question. You know, for me, I I, just, I thought of the idea on the subway on the way to work. I actually just started a new job. And I this job is kind of less demanding than my other job. I used to work in a large law firm. So I, I knew I'd have some time to write. I thought, you know, I've written about other TV shows, Simpsons, 24. What else is out there? I'm like, well, you know, this new show, Better Call Saul, had just started. And, like, it's about an attorney, a lot of legal issues. Let me start thinking about that. Um, and then, you know, when I kind of just sat down trying to think back to, like, you know, writing the first kind of couple of pages, um, I, I wanted to introduce this character. So I think in, in Chapter 1, I, um, I wrote about some scenes like, you know, the the Cinnabon and, and um, Gene kind of sitting in his living room and kind of taking stock of his life. And I thought there's a lot of imagery and symbolism there. So let me introduce the character. And I kind of wrote about that as like an intro and took, you know, a couple of pages and I'm like, this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, but it's also going to take a lot of um, hard, meticulous work um, because it's it's fun to kind of write about that imagery and what you're seeing on the screen. And I was doing that at, at various times. But, you know, there's also a lot of stuff embedded in this show, um, you know, and I tried to pull out a lot of the Easter eggs and write about those in notes and um, a lot of other research for the show. So I would just take apart, you know, an episode and go through different scenes, compare them to other things seen in pop culture and movies. And, you know, I, I, the book is, um, it's not a summary of the show. It really tries to analyze the different characters and scenes. So I would just kind of take it part by part. I'd create an outline for what I'd want to do for each chapter. Um, I'd keep revising that outline as I thought more about it. And, um, you know, it, it, it kind of became, like I, I initially had thought it'd be, I don't know, eight or nine chapters, and I had all sorts of different titles and ideas for them. 
Um, I thought I'd have a different chapter per legal issue. And I realized, you know, the way I kind of wanted to structure it was put the legal issues together, create separate chapters for each character, and uh, then talk about some other issues, comparing them to other attorneys in pop culture and is better call solace Experian tragedy. Those are ideas that I kind of developed as after I put together the initial outline, I kind of just expanded on what I was thinking. So, you know, and then in terms of just the writing process going forward, um, I, there were times I'd sit at a computer and write a few pages and other times a week or two went by and I didn't write anything and it, I didn't have any sort of set schedule you know, keep rewatching the show, rewatch Breaking Bad, take notes and kind of put it all together. So this one took a little over two years, um, by far the longest it took me to write a book. And I think that that's because of the complicated nature of the show and all the research and a lot of fun. Yeah. Plus, I imagine if you had gone with that initial idea of more so focusing the entire book on the law issues and everything, it certainly would have been a very different feeling book when you were reading it, too. And, you know, not everyone is excited about legal jargon or anything <laughs> like that. So even if yeah. people watch the show, they might watch it for reasons other than the law aspects. So I think what you have here with the finished product is actually a great balance for those readers who want to get into some of the law issues, but also just for you know, casual watchers of the show, too. Thank you. And I appreciate the feedback. That's exactly what I was going for. Um, you know, working with agents and publishers over the years, um, you're always trying to toe that line, you know, and determine, you know, how do we, you know, capture kind of a mainstream audience while staying sort of true to the original purpose. And, you know, with this book, it was interesting because, as I said before, the purpose kind of changed from start to beginning. And, um, you know, an outsider would say, hey, how can you write a book just about 20 episodes? But there's so much content within those. And again, because it's not a summary book, um, I'm really commenting on different things that we're seeing. So, you know, Saul's TV ads, um, you know, I have a, basically a chapter on attorney advertising and how his ads reflect um, different rules and how they violate rules and um, things like that. And I think that is, you know, you don't need to be an attorney to kind of hopefully enjoy that. It's, you know, we're watching um, similar lawyer advertisements on, on our TV screens. And I think we're reminded of Saul. And um, I think that a lot of the legal aspects of the show are just very, um, I, I think, popular in the mainstream as well. And I tried to comment on all of that. So um, I appreciate that feedback. That was the balance I was going for. Yeah, and you also pick very specific moments to discuss from the episodes, and one of the big ones was when the Kettlemans took some money and then they were just hiding out, making it sort of look like they had been kidnapped. What led you to pick the specific moments to discuss that you did? Because I feel like the Kettlemans are a very important part of, you know, those few episodes that they're in. And then you sort of forget about them for a bit. But as soon as I read this section on the Kettleman's, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this so vividly now. And I feel like Better Call Saul sort of just generally has that effect where so many things, like you said, will happen. Sometimes you'll forget about some, but it's like as soon as it's brought up again, you instantly go back to that moment and you have this vivid recollection of it. 
Absolutely. So the Kettleman's, um, to reveal some more writing details, that was um, the last section I wrote. And the reason was I was kind of saving the hardest part for the end. And the reason the Kettleman situation was so difficult and, and fun to write about was because, um, you know, as an attorney, I was sort of issue spotting all of these little things that kept happening. You know, they're switching attorneys between Jimmy and Kim. They're hiding money. Jimmy knows about it and, you know, is not, you know, he warns them about, you know, Nacho's threats and all of these different things kept coming into play. And I realized that, I realized kind of what the show was doing. There was no way that um, just creating a story that's fun to watch. They're intentionally appealing to um, lawyers who have some familiarity with the rules because a lot of the times Jimmy encounters this these moral ethical dilemmas that have real um, traction in the legal community and you know the question as to whether you can warn your client or potential client or former client about a threat um, those issues can all be like analyzed very separately and it's it's tricky to determine who the client and you know they're moving back and forth and all sorts of things like that so I knew the Kettleman's were going to be an important part of the book to write about um, and it, it was it was challenging and fun and I spoke to the writers of the show about this and said you guys are intentionally doing this and, yeah of course they kind of admitted it um, you know they run the show by lawyers and um, it, it's it's a show that is is deep in a lot of ways and if you're not an attorney and you you know sort of gloss over some of that that's fine too um, it's kind of fun to watch this you know quirky couple um, with their messy legal problems um, I think if you if you look at it from a legal perspective, there's this other layer to it. And I tried to present all that in the book. I tried to kind of go through the different actions that they took, their interactions with Jimmy and Kim, um, and, you know, what it all means. And I think um, it, it was interesting. You know, you, you see Jimmy struggling um, to, you know, build, maintain an identity, trying to be a decent person, kind of has these demons he's fighting against. And the Kettlemans are kind of this this perfect couple that comes in. They're perfect in the sense of they, they force him to um, make so many different little decisions that, you know, arguably can come to define him later on. So it was a, it was a fun part to write about. Yeah, and I certainly want to dive into a little more of the content of the book. Before I do so, though, I want to pause here real quick for a sponsor break and let all of our listeners know a little more about Loot Crate. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Bridge 10 is the promo code for 10% off, and that is at trylootcrate.com forward slash geekdompod. Like I said, it'll be in the show notes, so you don't have to memorize that link or anything. But what Loot Crate offers is a monthly box where you just get a ton of geek gear basically you have licensed gear apparel collectibles you get one-of-a-kind items and they definitely hit on all of the pop culture fronts you won't find the same thing in a box later on down the road you'll have one box that has some Batman stuff in it, some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stuff, Jessica Jones stuff, and they really just do a great job with making sure they get a lot of variety with each box that they bring to your doorstep. And you have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific time to subscribe and receive that month's crate, and you will have 
just enough time, maybe. It, this episode is going up on the 19th, so <laughs> you'd have to act fast to get the December box, but it, there are always going to be plenty of 2018 boxes for you to check out and subscribe. Again, that link is trylootcrate.com forward slash geekdompod, code bridge10. It'll be all in the show notes, so you don't have to worry about writing that down or anything. But now we're going to go back to the conversation with Stephen. And Stephen, one of the main things I wanted to discuss here was the fact that both Jimmy and Kim bend the rules a bit. And you have Jimmy who does so more than anyone else on the show. And he seems to have way more of a moral flexibility, I guess you could say, whereas Kim truly seems to be a better person than Jimmy is, even if Jimmy does most of what he does for the right reasons. And what do you think about the contrast there between what viewers think when Jimmy is bending these rules and when Kim is doing the same thing, but for probably a different reason? Right. I think, um, you know, Kim seems to bend the rules um, and she kind of seems to get a high off of it and she kind of does it when she's with Jimmy. And I don't know how seriously she actually takes it. I think, you know, she kind of um, she makes the point in one episode that you, know, you can't just live on doing this. And I think Jimmy's reaction to that is, oh, yeah, of course, you're right, you're right. But to Jimmy, um, you know, scheming and, and sort of, you know, having that moral flexibility is, it, you know, it's another pathway that he could take in life. And we see his interactions previously with Marco. Um, you know, this was the life he was living. Um, and, you know, he got by that way. And it's not something that Kim, I don't think, ever seriously entertained. Um, I think, you know, continuing to learn more about her. But, you know, she lived a a fairly straight uh, life. And I think these little um, incursions with Jimmy are kind of, you know, she gets this high off them. They're sort of sidebars. Um, To Jimmy, though, obviously, because he becomes Saul Goodman, you know, he sort of pursues this almost on a professional level. (laughs) Um, he's, He's a professional mischief maker and he can um bend the rules in a way to kind of create a a career out of it so um both the the content of their actions and you know the the seriousness which to to which they they adhere to them and follow them i think jimmy has that edge you know this is a um something that, that jimmy is um sort of very he's sort of faithful to to often doing the wrong thing um and sort of sliding down that path even more that being said i, I you know one thing I, I did in the book i tried to expose some hypocrisy of kim um because you know she was on board with jimmy you know uh doing certain things lying to cops making up stories but then when he actual forged evidence she made a sort of a sharp line in the sand and i think that um, I questioned some of her lines in the sand. So it, it's, it, you know, it's an interesting dynamic and it'll be um, fascinating to see what happens with their relationship. Yeah, I think with Kim, she's willing to entertain Jimmy with some of these things, but mm-hmm. it really feels like she has 
a slightly better moral compass than Jimmy does because she's, you know, doing this work and she really wants to be great at her job, whereas Jimmy sort of just wants to prove Chuck wrong the entire time. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. Um, if uh, that, so you're saying that Jimmy's motive, his sole motivation, or one of his main motivations, is simply proving Chuck wrong. That's interesting. Um, I, I think that's a, a valid way of looking at it. I, I, you know, I think he's certainly out there to impress his brother, and I think the, there's a very detrimental effect that his brother has on Jimmy's psyche. Um, but yeah, and I think it's, I think you're absolutely right. Um, they're, they're coming at it very different perspectives and that's why I think their relationship has a very interesting uh, dynamic. Yeah. There's certainly that push and pull between the two of them because even Jimmy has this sort of effect that can cause Chuck to go into a downward spiral. And we certainly see that. I would say probably more so in season three, but you start to see it early on in the show too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, just since you mentioned Chuck, um, you know, to me, the, the show, if you had to boil down the show in a few words, um, it, it might be the, you know, the dynamic between those, the two brothers and how they view the law, how they view the world. Um, because, you know, Chuck is the largely straightforward, you know, doing things the right way, very serious lawyer who has great respect for the law. I point out a few instances where he actually does violate some ethical rules. Um, but, you know, Jimmy uses the law as a means to an end. And I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with that perspective as long as you um, adhere to ethical standards and rules and guidelines. Um, but, you know, Chuck has this sort of, seems, love for the law. And they come at it at very different ways. Um, and you know, the question is often asked, I'm asked at book signings that I do all the time and, um, different events and lectures, you know, who would you rather have as your attorney, um, Chuck or Jimmy? And I, I, you know, a lot of people would answer Jimmy, um, you know, especially as we see him in Better Call Saul, he's a very devoted, um, advocate, hardworking, um, you know, trustworthiness, you know, it's, it's maybe somewhat of a question, um, but, you know, even so, I think, you know, if you hire Jimmy, you know, you're going to get somebody who is, is working hard and hopefully on your behalf. Um, with Chuck, he has the, you know, the knowledge of the law. Um, he's sort of uh, the the statute guy, the no- guy who knows um, how to, to do things. And, and he has this vast experience. But the show has gone to great pains to show a couple of times where, Jimmy kind of gets the best of him, not only in the back and forth between them, but in the law itself. Um, you know, a lot of times you, you sort of see that, um, you know, Chuck sort of gets lost in the weeds and the minor things in the law, um, you know, is what he's sort of focusing on. There's nuances and Jimmy might see the big picture. And I think they've, they've done a good job at showing that Jimmy's not as expert in actual laws and rules, but you know, he has this human element to him. He can um, operate and communicate in a way that Chuck really can't. Uh, Jimmy can relate to people. And you see sort of Chuck being very jealous of that. So there's just so much depth to that um, part of the show and how those brothers relate to each other. Uh, And I I just, I find it fascinating. And I compared um, Jimmy and Chuck to 
some characters from The Simpsons, um, Frank Grimes and uh, and Homer. For Simpsons fans who are listening, if you think about the relationship between the two brothers, and you think about um, Homer Simpson, um, Safety Inspector, Nuclear Power Plant, and his coworker in one episode was named Frank Grimes, this very hardworking guy who comes in and you know has just a terrible life, and he works so hard just to be able to work alongside Homer. Um, and you see the jealousy that Frank is, is angry at Homer. You see sort of the disdain for this person, Homer, who just gets by in life having an easy you know, way and people like him and forgive him for his insufficiencies. You sort of see the same thing with Chuck and Jimmy. Um, you know, Chuck kind of is, is flabbergasted that Jimmy's an attorney. Um, he says that on a number of occasions. And you see the same with... Um, with Frank and Homer, that obviously Homer shouldn't be a nuclear power safety inspector. Right. And if only if only the world would realize that. And, you know, even after I wrote the book, um, you see the demise of each character, Frank and Chuck, kind of being the same, both being um, killed. So, you know, it's interesting. And I think that I spoke to the writers about their, their knowledge and use of The Simpsons. It's certainly something that, um, you know, they're well aware of, of Simpsons characters, whether it's Lionel Hutz, the fictional attorney, and the similarities to Jimmy, or these characters. I think it's it's fun to make these comparisons. Yeah, you mentioned that human connection that Jimmy seems to have with people, and yeah. I do really understand that because when you see him working with all of the elderly people, namely in the Sandpiper case, you really see him trying to help these people because they're being gouged basically for, you know, things like toilet paper and, you know, all of those things. And it really feels like that with Chuck, you'd more so want him if you were a big company like, you know, Facebook or something like that. And you sort (laughs) of want this guy that, isn't really going to make a human connection because you're a corporation. And with Jimmy, I think what's really interesting, because you talk about Breaking Bad in this, I feel okay with mentioning this, but from what we see with Jimmy in Better Call Saul to Saul Goodman in Breaking Bad, it feels like he sort of loses that a bit along the way, because in Breaking Bad, everything is so crazy. He can't really care as much about the rapport he has with people especially you know with many of the characters in breaking bad because they're you know all criminals <laughs> absolutely no and that's absolutely right um i couldn't agree more and i think that you know saul goodman it's not just the actions that he does that are reprehensible it's sort of his demeanor and his approach to life like he has clearly lost something and i think better call saul is, is going to show us what exactly he loses whether it's kim or you know lost his brother or maybe something else that just major that happens to him um in his transformation but um you know he's this soulless character who i mean to your point i mean i you know it's hard to kind of care about criminals in that way um you know and and it's interesting to watch the dynamic between him and the elderly i think it it was a it was a smart idea for the writers to have him represent the elderly i write in the book that's probably one of the most noble um things you can do in the field of law a lot of people don't like lawyers but lawyers who represent the elderly against big companies i think have a soft spot in people's hearts and you know jimmy seems pretty um interested in in working with them he seems genuinely 
um, you know, to like them. I mean, certainly he's putting on a sort of a, a spiel and uh, <laughs> to win clients, but you know, that's what that's what makes the sort of the, the near the end of season three, um, where he you know deviates from that and betrays an elderly person so crushing you know a lot of times and bob odekirk has said this in interviews like that's when i became saul goodman you saw kind of the heartlessness of it um you know he he sort of does that betrayal and it reminds you of, of what we see in saul um saul is always looking for the you know the winner he's only going to really advocate on your behalf if you know there's something you know truly in it for him um, he's part of a criminal enterprise, um, and it's very different than how we see Jimmy early on. So, you know, when you look at a character who changes in that way, not only the people he represents, but the way he represents them, um, and the, the, you know his particular involvement in the crimes, it's um, fascinating journey and um, you know focus of an entire series, and I guess now a book. So, <laughs> there's a lot there. Yeah, I just want to stray from the book onto the show a little bit here because your book covers the first 20 episodes, which is seasons one and two, and season three wrapped up. So what are your thoughts on how they are pacing this show overall? Because like you said earlier, there was a ton of information and content in those first 20 episodes. And I feel like the same can be said for season three and how much focus it really puts on Chuck and Jimmy and everything going on and Jimmy slowly but surely becoming Saul Goodman. So with a fourth season coming, are you looking forward to how they pace out that fourth season in comparison to the first three, just to see if, you know, I don't have any inside information, so I'm not sure if it's done with this fourth season or if they plan to have a fifth one to sort of even it out with Breaking Bad. But what do you think of the pacing in general so far? You know, I like it very much. I think that, um, you know, I think most fans the the show like it occasionally they're criticized by others it's too slow i mean you know you have to either love it or hate it i think that um i agree with you season three kind of continued on that type of a pace you know it, it sort of it was interesting for me i'd already written the book and and a lot of the issues like the, the rules and regulations that were um, being discussed in uh, chuck's trial works the ones i talked about so it was it was kind of rewarding in that way that um, I was kind of on the same page with the writers in terms of the direction and the actual issues, which was fun. But, you know, um, now with, um, I guess, a spoiler, but, you know, with Chuck most likely dying in, in that, that house, um, it's going to be very interesting to see you know, his involvement, whether through flashbacks or, you know, what they're going to do. Because a fundamental component of the show was that relationship. And it calls into question, you know, what is HHM's role? Um, going forward, is it, you know, how, what sort of relationship or, you know, connection does Jimmy actually have with them? So I think there's going to be a lot of questions, a lot of uh, creativity need from this excellent writing team. Um, but my guess would be that it continues on a similar type of a pace. Um, it's not the type of show that has like this crazy cliffhanger that, you know, the story sort of has these twists and turns and reversals and things moving very quickly. It's it's sort of a methodical, um, you know, um, show that, that just, um, it's really based on character development. And I think characters develop at a, you know, 
different paces, but I think if they've set the the stage um, and we kind of learn these characters, it's hard to think that, you know, all of a sudden Kim is going to be entirely different or Jimmy will be entirely different. It's going to take things probably continually, gradually, gradual things that, um, you know, make that change uh, happen. So I, I just I think it'll probably continue in the same or similar way, but we'll have to see. Yeah. Plus, it'll be interesting to see how everything with Chuck ultimately ends up affecting Jimmy, who is pretty much at this point, we might as well just call him Saul because he's already, Uh you know, doing those funny little commercials and everything and trying to get clients maybe not in the most savory of ways. So you have this character development with Jimmy becoming Saul, but then you also have this other major event going on with Chuck. And I feel like, you know, things might get a little more intense with this coming season because you see how different Breaking Bad is. You know, the show had quite a bit more action simply because of the fact you're dealing a lot more with the drug making and the drug dealers and these sorts of more dangerous things than what Jimmy has been getting into with his problems oh definitely yeah no it's um you know the pace of both of those shows is very different i think that um it's natural to expect that the intensity the show will pick up because you know there's more to build on you know i think as we we follow the relationship between the characters and um you know the more things that happen between them um, you know, emotions will kind of run high and, and you can expect, I, I think, certainly not a slowdown, um, certainly something that would probably be more intense. So, yeah, ab- absolutely. It'll be interesting to see what happens. You mentioned earlier, too, the similarities that you can find with a show like The Simpsons. And with that show having been on for so many seasons now, you really can sort of find a bunch of different references in most shows that air today. So for you, what was it like to pick up on those similarities between these two shows that you've spent a ton of time on? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, So what I I tried to do in the book was I I compared Jimmy and Saul um, to different fictional attorneys. And I kind of made a list of you know, popular ones from movies and TV. And I I thought about the different characteristics. And, you know, the number one uh, lawyer, fictional lawyer that popped into mind was Lionel Hutz from The Simpsons. Um, And he was voiced by Phil Hartman, who was uh, murdered. So he hasn't actually been on the show since season eight. But, you know, Lionel Hutz brought a lot to The Simpsons. He was this character, um, the best way to describe him is, is just like a Saul Goodman type without maybe the sort of the evil part of him. But, you know, he was, um, he operated a law firm called, I can't believe it's a law firm. Um, he had a briefcase that was full of crackers. He, he himself was, um, you know, often a defendant in cases and he was, a you know, very interesting character. Um, you know, sort of a common satirical commentary on, on lawyers today, but it, it was it was a lot of fun to pull out you know characters from The Simpsons that reminded me of things in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and then of course you just take a look at also the the more traditional law shows like Matlock and Perry Mason, and you know think about how lawyers are portrayed in, in TV and pop culture. Um, and I looked at what some scholars said about all of this as well. 
Um, there's a theory out there called cultivation theory that I, I've written about, and I, I didn't invent this theory, but um, the idea being that you, um, a lot of viewers, their only real exposure to the legal system and maybe even other issues is through um, TV. You know, a lot of people will have their own, you know, individual small claims case or something like that. But um, a lot of what we see is, is, you know, learned through TV. And when you watch lawyers like Matlock and, you know, others that, you know, sort of built up this unrealistic um, portrayal and expectation of what an attorney should be, um, the idea is that people might be influenced to believe that's what law is like. That's what different um, aspects of what we see on TV, that's how we kind of learn. I argued that actually Saul Goodman um, reverses that trend because when you watch Saul, he is so extreme that I think it's not reasonable that people believe lawyers are like that. And if that's the case, it may cause viewers to reject everything they're seeing on TV, even some of the, you know, whether it's more realistic or, you know, other portrayals. So um, I think that the show kind of turns that theory on its head. And it was interesting to go through different lawyers and take explore that um, and, you know, look at how that, you know, their portrayal has changed over the years. And I argue that Saul Goodman is kind of like a, you know, many of these lawyers, like a Lionel Hutz and other sort of similar people on steroids. He's sort of this extreme version and that's why it's a funny character, um, but we can just also learn a lot from him. Yeah, so right now, do you have any plans to write about seasons three and four of the show, maybe do a second edition of the book or an update or anything like that? Or are you satisfied with where the book is at right now and where it stands within the two shows? I'm not planning a second book. Um, I might blog about the upcoming episodes. I have a website uh Stephen um, um I've been busy, so I haven't gotten to it. But that has been my plan. I think you know, um, I spent so so long on on this topic and continue to think about it and watch shows, obviously. But you know, I kind of put all this energy into thinking about Breaking Bad and and how Saul Goodman was similar to Jimmy McGill. So I think that you know, uh, and, and another book, it kind of couldn't go through that again. It would just be updated, you know, new content. I personally feel it's in a, a, a spot where I'm not planning an update or anything like that and kind of hopefully on to the next thing. But, you know, for me, it's just been really rewarding to see the feedback from the people who make the show um, and to, to have them hold and read your book and, and things like that. And this is sort of my take on this character and the issues um, up to this point. You know, I, I think I'm comfortable with that. So we'll see. Can't rule anything out, but... um. It's, I, I think that's kind of where I stand on it. Well, I will certainly have to link to your website then in case anyone wants to start following it to get your thoughts on next year's season of the show. Is there anything that we haven't touched on yet that you wanted to hit on before we wrap this up here? No, I think that I mean that was great. Um, no, happy to connect with anyone. I have a Facebook page, um, Stephen Kessler, it's an author page, and happy to connect with anybody who likes the show books on amazon and in stores and yeah it's it's been it's been fun so i hope i hope people enjoy reading it
Yeah, I certainly had a fun time going through it because I actually had recently read Breaking Bad 101 by Alan Sepinwall. So I was sort of already in that sort of groove Uh with the Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul content. So, you know, it was perfect timing for me, basically. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was definitely great to get to talk to you about your writing process and your thoughts behind the show and how this book came to life. Great. No, I really appreciate it. Great talking to you and um, thank you very much of course and to our listeners as always thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day